Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and each week I'll be speaking to some of the best minds in tech, UX and product, listening to their stories, finding out what makes them tick, and hopefully learning a thing or two along the way. On tonight's episode, Internet of Very Private Things, we ask some important questions. Is that a phone in your pocket, or are you just pleased to see me? Is there really an app for that? How do you do UX research with people that are in the middle of something? For answers to some of these questions and more, please join me on One Night in Product. My guest tonight is Ansh Bagri, an EdTech enthusiast, product manager turned product designer with a focus on creating human-centered experiences, currently working at Vibio, who we'll talk about in a second. How are you, Ansh? I'm good, Jason. Uh, Thank you for connecting me. How are you doing today? I am doing very well, thank you. So, as we said, you've got a strong focus on creating human-centered experiences, and I think it's fair to say that you're putting your money where your mouth is because let's not beat around the bush here, but Vibio is a is a sex tech startup yes. who, um, who make remote control sex toys. That's correct. So some kind of uh, internet of very private things. Internet of very private things, yeah. <laughs> so I guess my very first question would be, how did you get into that? Um, so interesting story. Like uh, it's it's a long story of how I actually ended up in product design, right? So I've I've had a um, business background, uh, you know, straight out of college, uh, you know, doing a bachelor's degree in marketing and management, but uh, diving, you know, into a market research analyst role uh, straight out of college. So I have like a very deep uh, research background, I would say. Uh, this company, I you know, conducted a lot of ethnographic studies, focus groups uh, for consumer consumer electronics products. So, consumer electronics was my first point of contact, like as an industry back in 2011 as a fresh graduate. So, I've always been intrigued by that industry and trying to understand, uh, you know, user pain points when it comes to using products like that. Uh, but um, having had experience as an entrepreneur myself in e-commerce retail. Um, and then uh, as a product manager in the fitness space, fitness and wellness space and the ed tech space, uh, tech was something I got really enamored by, right? Like with, with my starting off with uh, research and then um, my own startup and then, you know, ed tech and um, sex tech and femtech were industries uh, I, was, I was very interested in, partly because of, um, you know, the impact they're trying to create with innovative products like this. And it's all the more necessary right now uh, because of the current climate and how, um, you know, sometimes, and I know a lot of people in in my network as well, couples who are not together right now because they are in different countries, different continents because of the lockdown. And this product is essentially trying to, uh, you know, resolve that issue uh, where partners can use uh, an app control sex toy irrespective of where they are geographically located. Uh, to still be connected and it's in the femtech space so it's more catered towards women and the underlying uh you know thought process behind the product is to is to get people to talk about uh sexuality and pleasure more openly um just like you know you had topics like mental health uh which were not very mainstream say 10 years ago uh, and and now it is right and you want people to talk about this as well and um, this is one of the primary reasons I, I you know, uh, I'm working with this company right now. 
So no, I mean, and that's that's clearly an amazing effort, and and I think you're right that in the current situation where we've got these kind of dispersed people and and stuff like that, I think it it sounds great. But so just to clarify, we're talking about like a, a I don't know, let's say a, a guy in in Delhi and his wife in London, and he's controlling the sex toy from his hotel room. Yes, that's correct. Um, it basically mirrors wow. the experience on uh, a, a smartphone uh, for you and your partner, and you know you can control it from wherever you are. Um, so yeah, it, it's quite quite uh, the product for the current <laughs> times. So I'm assuming you don't get to do a lot of uh, live testing with this stuff, though, because that sounds a bit much. But the <laughs> um, I guess the user interviews must be fascinating as well. Yes, user interviews are fascinating. Um, you you'd be surprised the number of people uh, from our, you know, surveys who want to come and talk about this. Uh, we thought it would be a big challenge to get people to talk about it, you know, but clearly there is a need for something like this in the market. And we have like overwhelming numbers of people who want to come out and talk about it. So um, it is a little tricky in the sense that, you know, it's it's a new space for me as well. And if whatever I've read about and learned about user research, you know, you need to be very humble about research and, approach it with humility that you don't know much about it and it's not like you know a product in the femtech space is something i knew about very well i had to do my research as well so there were a fair few challenges but you know unfortunately the the project is under nda so i cannot give a lot of details uh yeah i i don't i don't want them <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> no but no i i yeah i obviously don't want you to give away any any trade secrets but no it's just I, I guess it's a fascinating space and, and it, it just sounds like a, th- a thing that whilst really admirable would, would for me certainly be, and probably for most British people and probably most just because you know, British people have a very uh, kind of, they're very kind of bad at talking about stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it just, it just feels like that would be a really tough gig, but, yeah. but from, it sounds like from, from what you're saying that actually that's, that's going pretty well. For you. Yeah, yeah, that's going pretty well. And uh, another point I probably missed out, you know, of, of you know why I'm working with this company is also because growing up in a country like India, where this is still such a big taboo, just talking about sexuality, right? And especially for women, right? They've they've had it really really tough uh, because uh, India as a country, uh, you know, back in the really old days, uh, you know, you're talking about the days of the kings and the queens. Uh, you know, these, you know, t- topics like, uh, you know, menstrual cycles and uh, sexuality were just like big taboos. Women, women weren't, you know, allowed to, uh, you know, talk about it. So it's something that has been like uh, very, you know, something I'm deeply passionate about to try to solve. And uh, yeah, maybe, uh, you know, I've spoken to the founders of the company and uh, try to address some of these things in a developing country like India as well. So are you primarily focusing on on like the Western markets at the moment and like the UK or are you already international? Uh, so currently the Western market. So the UK is the main focus right now, but then the US would also be something that, you know, you'll be looking at for a product like this. Wow, cool. Yeah. And um, I normally ask this question more towards the end of an interview, but it feels like this is something that we need to get out of the way is how would you explain your job? to a friend your specific current job the job you're doing right now not just product design but how would you to a a friend or family member explain your job 
Hmm, interesting question. And I always stumble when I try to answer this, but I'm going <laughs> to take the best stab I can at it right now. It just feels really much more spicy with <laughs> yeah. the... Uh, with the specifics and and like you say that the taboos it just feels like an interesting thing to try and pitch so i'm in, i'm interested in your response so whenever i try to explain this to my parents they still think that i design like i'm a graphic designer and i design apps um but that's that's you know i like to describe myself as someone um who is kind of like the uh the 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 mediator between the business goals of uh, a company and the and the user needs uh of um you know pr- probably you know the user needs the company is trying to solve through their product so i look at the product holistically from uh you know uh the profitability profitability standpoint and also the empathy standpoint um so i'd like to describe myself as the middle ground between the user and the company and that's a great answer but it sounds like you're kind of kind of glossing over you don't maybe don't go too much into the specifics of the of the problem you're solving i guess would be the safest bet in that kind of conversation yeah probably. <laughs> and uh i have to ask do you get a staff discount or do you have to pay as much as everyone else i have to pay as much as anyone else <laughs> <laughs> so before that you were working, as you say, in fintech and and ed tech, and you obviously said you've got a passion with ed tech, and it's a it's a, a really strong interest of yours. And I believe you were working for a place called the Medical School Application Guide. Yes, that's uh, what, what 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 does that what does or did that do? Yeah, so the Medical School Application Guide was a company that was essentially trying to help um, students who were between the age group of say fifteen to seventeen. Uh, to get into medical school. So people who were trying, teenagers who were aspiring to become future doctors and helping them specifically get into medical school in the UK. Um, So, you know, I joined the company um, as product manager for e-learning. The initial business model for the company was face-to-face consulting sessions uh, over a weekend, which would end up costing, uh, you know, our target user, which were teenagers between 15 to 17 years old but again um the people who were the you know decision makers for their parents but it would end up costing them 500 pounds to attend uh, a weekend course uh and i was brought into the company with the view to build a more accessible uh you know learning platform for people who are anywhere in the world who necessarily don't have to fly to the uk to take our consulting sessions and um you know they could take uh, you know, buy our resources online. Uh, so essentially, a medical school online interview course, or um, you know, a MMI circuit, or how how you could ace your um, entrance examination to get into medical school uh, through this online course that we created. And uh, when I joined the company, you know, the company was sitting on this huge, uh, you know, gold mine of amazing content which was already filmed, but did not know how to actually. Uh, you know, put it out there in the market, make it engaging and have, you know, very um, difficult topics to talk about like euthanasia, abortions, physician-assisted suicide to this target market and yet make it very engaging. So my, um, you know, entire responsibility was pretty much from discovery to delivery for this entire project. Okay. And as you said, you, as you said, you're a product manager there, um, which is, 
obviously slightly different to, to what you're doing now because you're you're focusing a lot more on the design now. But Correct. did you start to get into UX and design as part of that role? Was it kind of a part of the overall package that you had to deliver or was that something that you, yeah. you picked up afterwards? So, yeah, to be honest with you, I, you know, initially the you know viewpoint to hire me was as an e-learning designer, but this role accidentally and in a very good way graduated into like a wider product management role for me. And this is where, you know, for the first time I realized how much I am in love with product, the product design aspect uh, within the product world. And uh, previous to the medical school application guide, I was VP of product and marketing at a fitness startup in India. And that's when I had actually started reading about product design and a lot of books about product management, got uh, very exposed to podcasts and your lean startup and lean UX methodologies and design thinking. But medical school application guide is the first place I actually applied those principles that I had read about. So I was quite a newbie to product in 2017, I would say. Uh, but, you know, this entire two-year stint at the medical school application guide, it helped me uh, really practice those skills and make me a better future product manager. Nice. So it sounds like it, it's it's a new passion of yours that you can go and take on. But yeah. you say that you're new to product management or as of 2017 but I guess given your experience as a founder or as a co-founder and I'm going to probably mispronounce this but is that wakao.com yes that's you've pronounced it accurately it's wakao.com fantastic so that was an e-commerce platform yes uh, out of India selling um, merchandise for special events yes so it seems like that was quite a big deal it seems like it was quite a big company or it certainly had a big footprint it was it was working with a lot of different international suppliers it was uh, shipping to a lot of cities um that's going to give you a really good grounding in a lot of kind of product management and and obviously kind of company management but it feels like you kind of switched tracks in a way because you know you've founded a company you've you've started it up you've 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 scaled it to some extent and what then made you kind of switch tracks and 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 take roles in other companies because obviously the the cliche of course is that there's the entrepreneur and the entrepreneur is an entrepreneur for life and (laughs) can't work for other people yeah so the honest truth is and i tell this to everyone uh since you're on the topic wakao.com was uh one of my most successful failures uh it was a humbling (laughs) experience um but uh you know I, i learned a lot and i'll touch upon that but essentially the idea came to me when i so i was in singapore had a good stable job as a you know fresh graduate as a market research analyst and i could have you know uh scaled the ranks in that company but i was have always been very entrepreneurial even as uh, uh, a child as a teenager i you know had my first paid job as a professional dance choreographer and started my own uh, you know theater production house at the age of 15 and 16 so uh, i've always had that creative streak in me and that entrepreneurial side in me. So, um, and, you know, there was something about working in Singapore that time. And then, you know, this nationalist feeling to go back to India and try to uh, take a stab at my own startup, like uh, my own idea. Uh, and the idea generated from a very simple thing. I was in India in uh, uh, end of 2012, uh, trying to throw my, my niece her first birthday party, right? And uh, realize that you don't have the kind of products and 
uh, you know, services to throw a party, like a, a themed, a, a Disney character theme party in a country like India. And I thought there is a need for something like that in the market. And uh, within a few months, we, you know, found a co-founder for this idea and started a um, initially B2C e-commerce uh, platform where we were very brick and mortar and we were stocking and selling. Um, again, found a lot of vendors in countries like the States, China, uh, Europe. We started sourcing products from there and um, realized that, you know, it's it's it, it was scaling pretty well in in different cities we moved from you know starting off in a city like calcutta and then moving to the you know bigger metropolitans like new delhi bombay bangalore and we were shipping our products there but uh, i feel like one of the mistakes uh, i did in that company was over diversification and also overstocking so we realized that did i you know was not up to the mark with like keeping up with the trends because a Disney character themed product could, you know, be very uh, up and coming in the market. And within two months, a new character comes about and, you know, this goes uh, completely out of trend. So that was one mistake. And uh, you had a boom of e-commerce marketplaces uh, with companies like, have you heard of this company called Flipkart? Yeah. And obviously uh, Alibaba from China venturing into India. And how do you keep up with these players, right? Like in, in such a saturated market, that was uh, a big problem. And uh, we tried to pivot our model uh, where we, you know, obviously we were sitting on a lot of stock and that was a big pressure. But uh, we tried to pivot our model where we started, uh, you know, tying up with uh, stay-at-home uh, mothers to make, uh, you know, personalized products instead of stocking and selling and trying to just be dependent on countries like uh, you know China or the states to source our stuff we you know but it was probably too little too late by then and i realized that it's better to not be attached to your idea um, so yeah i had to wind things up uh, sell off all my stock uh, to the best of my abilities and look for my new challenge which was uh, which came about in the form of vp of product and marketing at a fitness startup it sounds like a bit of a journey that probably taught you a lot of things then that you could then apply to product management. And I think that one of the critical things that you said there is like not falling in love with your, your idea and, and, and making sure that you, you, you keep it simple because that's another thing that you said, like you try to do too many things. And whilst obviously with software, it's different because you're not having to necessarily keep stock as such because it's, we're, we're long past the days of big sort of shrink wrapped cds and stuff like that but at the same time just trying to keep everything simple i think is 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 definitely a a thing that we should all strive for because the more more things you try to do the 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 the, the fewer of them i think actually seem to work out so definitely uh good to, good to have that learning and to come out of it somewhat unscathed yeah, somewhat, somewhat unscathed. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm sure there's always a certain level of scathe when you come out of those things, but um, yeah, you, yeah, you, you're still walking, you're still upright. Yeah, you're, you're still here. Yeah, correct. That's correct. <laughs> Thank you for keeping my spirits up. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I do. So that's interesting as well. Talking about your your first job as a professional dance instructor. Yeah, a bit of a bit of a shift from both creating an e-commerce platform and also the work that you've been doing since. So, how did that come about, and 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 was that something that has taught you anything, or was it just a passion from your youth which you then replaced with a job that could you know 
pay more bills? Yeah, I mean, it's a mix, right? Like, I think now when I, you know, tie my story to it, and when I talk to people, and, you know, I've genuinely deeply thought about how I can create my own story. And I think it all boils down to user delight, right? And leadership, uh, where if you're on stage, you're trying to create this, you know, scene, or you're trying to create this sequence, which, uh, you know, uh, demands that applause from the people who are looking at you, or you're trying to create this amazing, uh, delightful experience for your user or your viewer. And uh, I think talent-wise, like, you know, when I think about it and my parents tell me and, you know, the people who've seen me grow up, that I've always had the knack to be on stage without feeling, uh, you know, any form of fear. I just thrived on stage. I was like, almost people tell me that I was, you know, you're pretty much like, you know, one of those babies who were, you know, you know, just started dancing before they started walking. So. Uh, it was like that and you know as a teenager growing up uh, you know in India when I was 15 or 16 I had this you know my best friend and me we both were avid cinema buffs and uh, contrary to the kind of cinema people would watch in India back at, at that time which was say 2003 or 4 we got exposed to a lot of Al Pacino and Robert De Niro and these kind of actors right because we actively went looking for uh, you know the you know the VCDs and DVDs from uh, from the older generation of these actors who we I, I river like my favorite actors Robert De Niro and like I can just see any of his movies you know at any given day. I don't know some some of his later ones haven't been so good so yeah, but you might want to be careful on that one. He's he's done a few duds in his yeah, later career. I'm biased. Uh, <laughs> the other day I was rewatching King of Comedy and yeah I've just always uh, been enamored by that guy. So yeah yeah just being exposed to the right kind of content and um like you said when i try to connect the dots between my product career right now and uh, entrepreneurship and how dance and acting kind of you know led me to that path i think it was yeah trying to create an amazing experience for people and also probably this vanity inside me where you know i want to be in the limelight um <laughs> i want to get that applause because i feel i am that good um but I think product design and product management taught me a bit of humility that, you know, you can't think about like like that because it's not a one act play with two actors uh, or one actor, right? Like it's a big team and uh, you have to be a leader in terms of um, leading by example and, um, you know, managing cross-functional teams and things like that. So uh, yeah, it's, it's been a good experience learning from, you know, uh, some of your uh, talents and knacks that you had as a child or, or as a teenager and you, uh, when you think about it on hindsight, uh, you never know how those things end up actually helping you. Yeah, well, uh, obviously all of our experiences add up to make a whole. So um, I guess having diverse experiences and, and diverse viewpoints, I think, is is critical and, and, and definitely something that I try to live by. So it's good to, good to hear how some of that stuff has kind of added up and, and made you the person you are today. You told me earlier that you hate or at least dislike the overuse of the words empathy and agile. Now, first of all, I do have to call you out on this because you do have empathy at the top of your LinkedIn profile. I do. <laughs> However, um, why do you hate the overuse of those two specific words? I mean, I know they're very common, yeah. but why do you hate them? Yeah, specifically about empathy, I feel like it's it's a very overused term right now, and I feel like a lot of people think about product design and empathy from a very design 
product-based silo, right? Like you have to think about a product through, uh, you know, in a very holistic way in, you know, from the profitability and the feasibility of the product from the business viewpoint as well. And a lot of designers that I've worked with uh, and very talented designers, they don't think about those viewpoints. And uh, even when you hear a lot of podcasts or, um, you know, a lot of these, um, you know, product con events, there's, you know, people overdo that term a lot. And it's not like you're curing something like world hunger or cancer, right? Like it's, <laughs> it's you're ultimately creating tech products. Yeah, it, you know, makes making really good intuitive experiences, but you cannot overdo that term so much so that, you know, you that's like the only thing you're looking at when you're trying to create uh, a tech product or, uh, you know, intuitive user flow or an onboarding because you have to look at it from the marketing point of view, from the sales point of view, from, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, you have to look at it from multiple different aspects. So I feel like this term is very overused. And with Agile, I feel like most companies talk about how Agile they are, but of what I hear from my friends and some other people who are working in big companies who claim to be Agile, I, I don't want to name companies, but um, <laughs> they are not. Uh, it's a very waterfall approach. and even with the few companies I've freelanced with, it, yeah, they say they're agile, but they're not. Um, and it's it's a buzzword now, uh, specifically made popular through your lean startups and, you know, lean UX books and, uh, a, you know, a lot of podcasts, good podcast material through, you know, Mind Your Product podcast or Product School. But I think everybody throws this term very willy-nilly now. And I've honestly, whenever I hear it, I, I kind of get annoyed now. <laughs> I guess there's also the the difference which I like to try to come to terms with, which is like agile generally with a big A um, or agility. And I think that agility is something that's really powerful and something that's, that that really should be aimed for because I think that it, it it helps you it helps you win. But wrapping everything up in a box and calling it agile with a big A and 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 doing agile rather than being agile just feels like a I think, like you said, like a, almost like a box ticking exercise for, yes. for companies just to to say that they're doing something different, yeah, um, and to kind of really foster a, a culture of certifications and and so. Now, I'm definitely not saying that people that that go for certifications and that the companies that are providing them are doing a bad job or doing a bad thing, because I think, from my perspective, anything to do with learning and 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 yeah, upskilling is is definitely a fantastic thing to do, yeah, but. I also not one hundred percent sure that you can do a, a a course for a few weeks and then be an expert. So, I think it's all about just making sure that 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 it's not just that. Yeah, and yeah, equally to that, to your point, to that, and even like the Google Sprint framework, right? Everyone thinks they've read the book and you can test ideas in five days. It doesn't happen. It really <laughs> doesn't happen. Yeah, I, I don't know about you. I've never ever managed to get anyone that I've ever spoken to worked with or, or or chatted to about this to ever sit there and say that they could get the the right number of people to spend five days testing and you know ideating on it i think it's a fabulous idea don't get me wrong i've just never ever heard anyone that's actually managed to do it um me too and like i think it's a little glorified right like this entire concept and i i'm i'm 31 like going on to 32 in this december and people of probably my age or a few years younger like they're really into these concepts right now i feel and yeah i 
I would be it would be wrong for me to say that like I wasn't enamored by these, but then once you try to apply these principles and frameworks, it's it's a little glorified to be honest. Mm-hmm. And how do you approach UX and I guess agile UX? So you're obviously having to work with developers, you're having to work with business stakeholders and you're having to work with customers to to make sure that the solutions that you deliver are best in class and, and give them the, the best experience that they can. But you're also presumably having to work in very iterative fashion. And I've worked with a variety of UX people in my time, some of whom are fine with that and some of whom feel like they want everything wrapped in a bow. And I guess my question is, where do you fit on that scale and and how do you make UX work with that kind of agile framework? Yeah, so I mean, I'm a big advocate of the build, measure, learn framework, right? But I feel like, uh, you know, when you're trying to, I always try to look at, you know, the problem I'm trying to solve through the problem space itself and try to internalize, say, a problem statement or um, make certain assumptions about who my user is before actually talking to the user. And um, when I make those assumptions, I want to run it by the key stakeholders at a very early stage uh, so that you know we are all aligned on the strategic vision of the product. And you know then I dive into sort of my surveys and my user interviews. And that also, like I said, takes some time, right? So nothing quite beats uh, doing an, you know, you know, A-B test for a landing page, even before you do your, um, say, user interviews to understand if people would actually pay for your product, if they would actually click on that buy now option, uh, as opposed to them telling you in a user interview, okay, yeah, you know, I would go and, you know, click on that CTA. So I look at it from that standpoint, like I want to validate as soon as possible. And I've learned it the hard way. I've made a lot of mistakes as a UXer also. Uh, where I haven't tried to, you know, validate as soon as possible. And luckily, I've had very good mentors and teachers uh, who've, who've told me that, you know, you don't need to interview 10 or 12 people. Uh, four or five people are fine because ultimately then you start getting the same kind of findings and insights. And that time could have been used to design rather than you talking to multiple people because a lot of times users don't know what they want and you don't have to listen to the user all the time like you don't have to listen don't give them what they are saying give them what they are doing so in a moderated usability testing you see you try to you know track some performance metrics or behavioral metrics more importantly of you know where they are clicking what they are viewing things like that right and then you try to take that feedback to your team and try to really put your mind to it and say how we can how how can we actually make this experience better for the user? How will they actually trust us with this product? Why would they you know, spend time creating uh, an account on our app? Why would they trust us with their uh, you know, money if you're working in FinTech, uh, which is one of the pro- projects, uh, products I worked on recently? Uh, and if you have answers to those questions, right, like, then you go on, you build your product, and, but keep your stakeholders uh, in the loop throughout the process. And I use a lot of different, uh, you know, Likert scale workshops or dot voting workshops with my stakeholders, with the clients, 
to get them on the same page so that you know we don't end up going on a different tangent altogether which stakeholders haven't uh, you know you know agreed upon so it all boils down to good communication i guess yeah i mean obviously that's a big part of of any end of the product spectrum you know we've all got to be able to communicate and and kind of cut through the noise have you got any aside from the stuff that you've just mentioned which is obviously a really good summary i guess of your approach if 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 a budding product designer came up to you today maybe just leaving school or just leaving university or whenever that whatever point that product designers uh, start asking people questions about this stuff what advice would you give to that product designer about how to start out uh yeah i would first definitely tell them to understand the culture of the company they're working at um so don't go about saying i do it this way i'm going to create the persona first i'm going to understand the user needs motivation i'm going to create a persona card i'm going to create user flows maybe your company has already done a lot of amazing groundwork and that work can you know help you in your in, in the kind of work the company wants you to do so before taking a step forward take a step backwards and see the kind of resources you already have and um try to understand the company culture or like if you're freelancing try to understand how your stakeholders work and uh you know what they're looking to get out of you in in your project uh before you start applying all the new frameworks you've learned and the things that you're very attached to because you can end up wasting a lot of time that could be that could have been used to do better customer discovery or um spent more time you know on better design and also keep up to date with newest trends and you don't need to go and do a course on udemy or linkedin or um a lot of boot camps that are happening i've taken a boot camp myself they're helpful they're uh, you know you can get yourself up to speed with it because it's it's not very self-paced it's something you'll be accountable to but then you need to keep up with trends through listening to podcasts reading books um and talking to people right like uh talking to people who are doing what you actually want to do so these are few of uh you know if i may say so the advice that i would give to a young budding product designer or ux person Excellent. And speaking of books, then what what would be a a top recommendation for you at the moment? Maybe a newer book that you've picked up, or an old classic that that you would recommend someone interested in product design could could kind of dip into. Yeah. So, like I said in the beginning, you should also look at product design from a holistical standpoint. So I would definitely you know tell people to look uh, read about uh, Inspired, Marty Kagan's Inspired, and uh, from the UX standpoint, Lean UX is pretty good. Uh, but I I keep myself up to date with a lot of podcasts and in terms of books yeah lean startup lean ux um a lot of uh webinars by jared spool um he's doing some amazing work and in fact i was listening to uh, one of his uh you know pre-recorded webinars uh today itself where he says that starting off your ux work with creating a persona is not the right way to go about it so try to yeah i mean apart from books try to uh listen to more relevant material uh which could be ab- available in podcasts and webinars uh which uh, a lot of people who are pioneers in the UX world um uh, like you know the Nielsen Norman group or uh, Jared Spool uh they keep talking about every day and what you can learn from their communities and their websites and 
is engagement. Uh, even a person like Jared Spool has to send three different emails every day to get his user engaged. So you might think that you end up creating the best product and people will use it, but you know that's not necessary that they will use it. So you need to constantly be, uh, you know, in in the loop, you know, with your user and let them know that you know you're doing this because there's so many distractions out there, right? Like how many times can you recall that you actually flip out your phone and open a different app because you know your attention will be divided. So um, yeah, read books, read these, listen to these podcasts. Product school is good. Mind the product is great. Um, for product management, um, this is product management by Alpha is pretty good. Um, yeah, there, there's so many actually. And there's more all the time. Yeah, more all the time. <laughs> so uh, where can people find you if they want to have a chat after this? Um, I know they can get you on LinkedIn. So is that the best place to get you or uh, are there other places that you hang out? LinkedIn would be good, but I've recently created my own business Instagram page. It's called anch.digital, so A-N-S-H dot digital. So you can find it there. So I try to post uh you know these after effect style videos about the projects i'm working on uh, so a quick 15 second to 20 second teaser about what problem i'm trying to solve with this you know product or project uh and kind of like a detailed case study link to that so that people can you know look at it nice so it's almost like a living portfolio yes that's i great. will definitely be looking at that and linking that into the into the show notes so thanks very much for, for speaking to me. It's been fascinating to get an insight into your world and some of the uh, more interesting aspects of working in sex tech. And thanks very much for, for spending the time. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show, Jason. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. As ever, it's my pleasure to have your attention. If you'd like to come onto the show to talk about your experiences, please feel free to pop to the website, onenightinproduct.com, click the link, leave your details, and we'll be in touch. Otherwise, of course, I'd appreciate it if you shared, followed, or liked this podcast on the app of your choice. Tell your friends about me, and please come back for more on One Night in Product.